many years and appreciate you all very much. We would like to turn our attention to a couple passages that, well, it's been alluded to and read a few times. So, you know what? I think God wants us to pay attention to it and His providence. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable. And thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. For we pray in the name above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My subject that's been assigned to me is suffering when others suffer and rejoicing when others rejoice. These are very humbling texts. And I'll tell you one thing, just like many of the others have come up here, uh, we all see that we fall short. We have not arrived at the fullness of the stature of Christ and never will in this life. But we're endeavoring, as our brother brought that verb out, to obey and to be more like our Lord Jesus. And and this is very true as it applies to this particular text. But so so often we're either too busy or we're too distracted or we're just plain too cold to faithfully and fully obey these passages. This is a reference to the local church here. Even though the principle that we see laid out in these two passages would be greatly beneficial to families. And would be greatly beneficial to communities and societies and nations. But the context is the local church. And in reality... If a church wants to fully bring glory to God, then that church and members in particular, we need to be suffering when others suffer and rejoicing when others rejoice in the body. This, of course, is speaking of a physical body, using that as an analogy And what naturally we get from that, there's only a local visible church. It's what makes sense here. You know, we as Americans, as we, as we think about the body, we as Americans are somewhat detached from that. We tend to be, uh, we, we tend to admire 
the founding fathers, the pioneers, who are often depicted and pictured as being those who needed no one, and they have carved out their existence with their own bare hands and their own sheer willpower. They, they raised their own food. They, 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 uh, grew their own food. They made their own houses. They built their own houses or built their own barns. They built, they made their own clothes. They made their own soap and, and so on and so forth. But you know, that picture, that depiction is false. Because we know that Without Christ, we can do nothing. As the scriptures tell us also, as Paul told, uh, spoke with the heathens, he said that, that through God, our creator, we live and move and, ha- and breathe and have our being. In other words, our very existence depends upon our creator. And besides that, has already been alluded to, we have a father. From whom every good and perfect gift from comes from and is bestowed upon us. He, he, he reigns his mercy upon the just and the unjust. So we're totally dependent upon our Lord and our Savior. So preppers out there, we are not self-sufficient. None of us are self-sufficient. Our sufficiency is of God. Even Paul, as great a man as he was, he said that their sufficiency was of God. That he wasn't sufficient of himself. Now as we look at this passage as it relates to the church, I cut off my hand and it lay there. It can't survive by itself. It needs the rest of the body. And none of us can survive on our own. That is the way God has designed it. We are... The the idea here is interdependence, not independence. Yes, we are independent Baptists. We don't believe in conventions and associations and all these kinds of things. We're autonomous, as the Scriptures declare to us. That's what a church is to be. And we are dependent Baptists in the sense that we're dependent upon God for our every need, for our very existence as a church body. As churches represented here, We're totally dependent upon God who built His churches and builds His churches. But we're also interdependent Baptists because God has designed it that we need each other. We need each other. And we see, you know, that we cannot stand alone As a matter of fact, there needs to be at least two or three gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ, as Matthew 18, 4, 20 says, in order for there to be a church to even exist. We are more a church, I guess you could say, 
when we're assembled together. I cannot emphasize enough the command that God has given us there in the book of Hebrews to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. We will not be in a proper position to obey this command. To suffer with those who suffer and rejoice with those who rejoice. If you're not here, you don't know what's going on. You cannot do that. It's of great benefit that God has ordained it, that we gather together and we're also get, we're kept from much harm as a result of gathering together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, frequently, Coldness of heart is what sets in a person who keeps away from the gathering together of the saints in the churches. We miss out on glorifying God and helping others when we isolate ourselves. Now, some of you may be saying, I don't need anybody or anything but Jesus. Well, that is true in a way. And I used to say that an awful lot. But until I studied this text, thank you for assigning me this subject, I came across something that I didn't know. Among many things. And I looked there in the context of the passage. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. In other words, the eye and the hand need each other. We need each other in the particular bodies that we are a part of. And then he goes on and says, Nor again can the hand to the feet. I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary or needful. We need each other. We need, in our various churches represented here, we need, God, God has ordained it this way, we need Jesus in each one of us. We need Jesus manifested in and expressed through each one of us and the respective churches that we're members of. That's the way God has purposed it. Well, we may ask the question, as I sometimes ask myself, how can I even begin to do just one of these, much less both of them? It's awkward sometimes. You ever had someone lose a loved one and you try to talk with them? It's kind of awkward for us. We may say, Lord, I want to do the right thing, but I'm afraid I'm just going to mess it up. Never had those thoughts? I know I have. I'm afraid I'll just mess it up. I'm afraid I'll do more harm than good. Well, 
I think one of the things we need to recognize is what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. We're fearing. And our fear is based on our own insufficiency. It's crippled us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We have the same thing that uh, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so what is it? It's moved from, from having faith in ourselves or trusting in ourselves or seeing, you know, when we're just looking at ourselves and having faith in ourselves, we're going to come to a position where we are going to be second guessing ourselves. We're not sure what we're going to do. We don't have the confidence. We mess things up or we won't do anything. We won't sorrow with those who sorrow, rejoice with those who rejoice. Jesus says, instead of having faith in yourself and your own uh, natural abilities, he says there in Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God. Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Maybe that mountain is. I don't know what to say or do. Have faith in God. And that brings us to the first point of the message. And that is, there needs to be a loving one another. And that also has been brought out in this conference. Loving one another. This is not the so-called love of the world which is many times the lust of the flesh, the lust or love of money. And people marry people just because of their money. But we're speaking of the love of Christ, that in every believer, every one of us, it says in Romans 5, 5, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. 1 John 4, 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but either that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And, and of course, Jesus, when asked what is the greatest commandment, said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. So, where do we, where do we find this whole idea of love connected with our text? Within the context of Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, laying the foundation of how to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, it says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep and so we see that there is that love there, being kindly affectioned one to another. And with brotherly love is a foundation laid that is necessary for us to even begin to sorrow with those who sorrow and rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Same thing in, in 1 Corinthians. This has been brought out as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, we see that whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And what do we see right there, close there? 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 speaks of a love, a kind of love that has no hatred, no competitive spirit, no jealousy, no superiority or inferiority, not arrogant, not easily provoked, seeks not its own, doesn't act unseemly, doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rather only has that kind of Christ-like love, uh, that, that patience and that kindness and that gentleness. It's only this kind of love that can keep unity in a church to function as a body should. It's only this kind of love that can prevent and repair division in the church. Matter of fact, we find there's 12 verses in the Bible that uses that same exact phrase, Love one another. John, as Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. We're not talking about any kind of love here. We're talking about a supernatural love. We're talking about a love that you cannot get on your own. We need to cry out to God, Lord, help me. Uh, my own native self, I'm not going to love. I'm selfish and sinful. I need you, Lord, to help me to be a member of the body that I ought to be. To be in a position to suffer with those who suffer and rejoice with those who rejoice. But again, John 15, 12, love one another. 15, 17, love one another. Then Paul says, and then, you know, by the way, Jesus doesn't repeat something just because he didn't, he couldn't figure out what to say. He repeated it because we need it. And Paul says there on a number of occasions in Romans 13, 8, love one another. First Thessalonians 4, 9, love one another. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, love one another. And then John again. He says in 1 John 3, 11, 3, 23, 4, 7, 4, 11, 4, 12, and 2 John 1, 5, love one another. Love's the fuel that gets us going. Love's that fuel that keeps us going. We don't have to worry about running out. We got the endless supply of the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Love's that glue that holds us together and keeps us from falling apart. When the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts and we love one another, then and only then are we ready to suffer with those who suffer and rejoice together with others. You know, the church of Corinth, or excuse me, the church of Ephesus, there in Revelation, they obeyed much of what it was given to them in, 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 in the epistle to the Ephesians. But one thing they lacked. They were sound in doctrine. But they were going through motion. Because the scriptures tell us that they were in danger of losing their candlestick. Because they left what? Their first love. 
You cannot give full glory to God in the church as long as there's a lack of love. You cannot give glory to God in the highest way possible. And we certainly can't give glory to God in the church if our church ceases to exist because we have a lack of love. So let's look at, secondly, suffering with one another. We ought to be loving one another, and we need to be suffering with one another. This world's full of suffering, isn't it? Job said that our days are few and full of trouble. And Jesus said, because they hated me, they're going to hate you. We're going to have tribulation. Matter of fact, you Paul says, yea, and all that live godly shall suffer persecution. See, we got suffering in this world. But what a blessing it is that God would use the ordinary means of grace, us, to comfort one another. What a blessing that is. That... The Holy Spirit of God comforts us through other members in our church. And what a privilege that we have to be instruments in the hands of our loving God in that way. Sorrow seems to last a long time, don't it, when you're going through it. But you know what we can be? We can be an instrument in God's hands to maybe make it to where it's not as bad a suffering as it could be. We could be the instrument in God's hand to maybe even shorten the time of sorrow with somebody else. Now, Jesus says, do unto others, you have them done unto you. Wouldn't we like somebody to do that? If we were in that position of suffering, wouldn't we like someone to help bear the burden, to share our sorrows? Jesus had compassion. Did he not? You know, there's some among us who have lost one loved ones here recently. Isn't it a blessing when you lose a loved one and you have others who bear the burden with you, who pray with you, say, I've been praying for you, I am praying for you. It is a tremendous blessing. Jesus there in, in Matthew 9, 36, but when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them. That that passion. Suffering is like a passion that you go through. Calm meaning alongside. You're suffering with them. Jesus was moved with compassion. Suffering with them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. If you notice there, he was concerned about their physical well-being and their spiritual. And sometimes we ignore one or the other, and sad to say, even both. Let us be like Jesus and suffer with those who suffer. You know, on Memorial Day, there are many people weeping for those loved ones that died. Are we ready to weep with them? And what about those who we ought to remember? Who died not only not not in service to our country, but in service to our Lord. 
Do we remember them? Do we honor them? Do we weep with those who's lost those loved ones? And that way, who died serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. I, you know, how does it look? We pray for each other. We do chores for others. We prepare meals. We we share scripture or we're just there to listen. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do. We don't want to be like Job's friends. They started out good. They didn't say anything for, I think, seven days. They just was there for him. But as soon as they opened their mouth, they became miserable comforters. So if we don't know what to say, don't say anything. Just be there for them. Just be there. I remember hearing about Raul over in Romania. And R.L. Montanyahu. And R.L. McLea. R.L. McLea had lost someone that he was hoping to marry. And he was sad. He was sorrowful over it. He wanted to be married. He wanted to find a good wife. Let me let, let me tell you how that looked in sorrow with those uh, those that sorrow. You know what they did? You know what Aurel Montnau and uh, Raul did? They said, "Brother, we're going to pray and fast for you." And they wept with him over his sorrow. That's what it looks like. That kind of compassion. We are like Christ when we do this. Jesus, who even now is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus, that same Jesus who wept at the grave of Lazarus. He sorrowed with those who sorrowed. But then, lastly now. How much time do I have, brother? Six minutes. Rejoicing with one another. You know, just like sorrows seem too long-lived, rejoicing seems way too short-lived. What a blessing we can be again in the hands of God to make that rejoicing just a little bit more joyful because we're joining in. We're rejoicing with them. And we can make that rejoicing just a whole, a, a whole lot longer because we're rejoicing with them. Again, Jesus said, do unto others you have them doing to you. Wouldn't you want the same for yourself? Let us rejoice with those who rejoice. Just like the splash of cold water on a sunburned face makes your body feel good all over. Just like when you you ever had a time of joy where you felt so good your whole body tingled. That's what we can be in the body one to another as God works through us.
Christ and all the angels in heaven, you know what they do? When one lost sinner is brought into the fold, all the angels of heaven rejoice with that no doubt rejoicing sheep that was lost. And you know what? Even Jesus lays that lost sheep on his shoulders rejoicing with all the angels of heaven and with that sheep who was once lost and now is found. We're like Jesus when we rejoice with others. Sad to say there are those who rejoice when others suffer and suffer when others rejoice. That even happens in churches, sad to say. Sad to say. You know, if there's anybody who didn't need anybody... That was Jesus. Do you know what he did? He lived with, grew up with, helped support his earthly family. And when he began his earthly ministry, he didn't go it alone, did he? He spent those three years in constant companionship. With twelve disciples. This Memorial Day. Let's remember Christ. And honor him by suffering with those who suffer. And rejoicing with those who rejoice. The one who died for our sins. Wept over our sins. And Jesus wept over us in the Garden of Gethsemane. And over our sin. But we can, as God's people, be sorrowful and yet always rejoicing because we're a child of the King. Can you say that? You have a hard time with that because you just cannot identify with this because you're still yet in your sins. Weep over your sins. Repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what you'll have? You'll have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You'll have a peace that passes all understanding. You'll have a, a forgiveness that is forever and ever. And eternal life. And a perfect paradise that awaits you when you die. So may God help us to be the kind of church bodies that show forth the glory of Christ in our unity and harmony, not just doctrinally, but as we suffer with one another and we rejoice one with another in the love of Christ. May God bless you.